Well, in the very same year that Columba died on the Isle of Iona, Rome decides to enter the picture again. So this is Gregory the Great, and he's Pope in Rome, and he's deciding that he is going to send his emissary, a Benedictine monk by the name of Augustine, this man, and uh, the, he's going to make him the first Archbishop of Canterbury, representing Rome. So he gave him the mandate to instruct the unlearned, encourage the weak, and correct the obstinate. Well, you almost sense already a new spirit wanting to come in and enter into the British Isles. Not that humble spirit that we see among the leaders who are submitting one to another and honoring one another the same way that Columba and Kentigern did with each other. This is not a spirit of mutual honoring. Well, like it says in Romans 12, outdo one another in showing honor. This is, we're the true church now. We are coming in here. Now that we're here, it's time for you to either submit to us or fade away. And so Augustine, um, who is a different guy, by the way, than Augustine uh, of Hippo, who was uh, two centuries earlier. This is a guy who's probably named after that uh, earlier man, that theologian of the Roman church. Um, and he's going to come and he's going to call the uh, Celtic leaders. He is aware that there are some Christian leaders here who have already been spreading the Christian faith. Um, but he's, he's not coming to say, let us work together. He's coming to, to invite them to submit to him as the leader of the one true church. So he, uh, he, he calls them together in Canterbury and he, he says, it's time for you to submit to me as the representative of Rome. Well, they uh, ask for some time to uh, pray about this, and uh, they depart. And as they gather together to pray about it, they all agree that it's time for them to consult the man that they think that they honor as the wisest man in the land. And the uh, irony of it all is that we don't know who that person was because um, they were so humble that they never really wanted any kind of reputation. And so here's a hermit who lives somewhere in Britain, and they're going to go all go and consult with him, and he's going to advise them what to do. So, And that's what happens, that he does advise them, and this is what he says. He says, if this man has, who has who come to you seems to you to be humble, then by all means submit to him. But if he does not seem humble to you, then don't submit to him. So they went back to Augustine in Canterbury and they um, were going to evaluate whether he seemed humble or not. Well, he didn't stand up to honor them when they entered the room. 
uh, he seemed like he was um, not being humble at all. In fact, he accused them of being insubordinate, obstinate, and he ended up threatening to excommunicate them if they didn't submit to him. So the long and the short of it was uh, Augustine failed the test and the Celtic leaders decided to simply leave him and continue with their ministry as it had been. Um, so the result of that is that there were two churches for a while. There was the Celtic church and there was the Roman church. Let me say that some historians um, try to be easy on the memory of Augustine and to say maybe he was just having a bad day or he miscalculated or some such thing. But the fact remains that um, there is another spirit in the Roman church. There is another way, a whole other style that is going to enter in. And uh, one uh, guy by the name of uh, Magnus Magnuson put it this way. He said, uh, Celtic monks lived in conspicuous poverty. Roman monks lived well. Celtic monks were unworldly. Roman monks were worldly. Celtic bishops practiced humility. Roman bishops paraded in pomp. Celtic bishops were ministers of their flocks. Roman bishops were monarchs of their dioceses. Celtic clergymen said, do as I do and hope to be followed. Roman clergymen said, do as I say and expect it to be obeyed. It's a different style. And uh, some have, have wanted to kind of play down that difference and that, that contrast, but as I've studied the two, um, it's just exactly the way it was. And so you've got two different churches, and they're representing, um, as I've said, as a power and might style and a by my spirit style and and they're they've got two different ideas of what Christianity is two different ideas of what kind of king Jesus is power and might versus by my spirit and it just it just continues right on through unfortunately and we'll see the contrast as we go along so now uh, there's a piece of Britain that has not yet really received the, uh, the gospel of Christ. All of the gray area here, the, the western part of the island, and all of Scotland, and all of Ireland, and clear down into the, the southwest corner, all of those have been uh, evangelized by this Celtic way of prayer and evangelism, this dynamic duo of prayer and evangelism that uh, we've, we've traced all through here in the last several teachings. And now it's time for the Celtic church to begin to come down into this reddish area here, the Anglo-Saxon regions and, and bring the gospel across a cultural divide from the Celts to the Anglo-Saxons. 
and the Romans are going to bring it up in the opposite direction from Canterbury up to the north. And looking just at, at this little map here, um, we've got Iona, and they're going to spread the gospel down through, and they're going to create a series of prayer houses, prayer communities going down into the North, North Umbria area of England. Um, in the early part of the uh, 7th century, all right, so this, the uh, 600s, Iona is going to send a missionary to establish a community at Lindisfarne. It's on the opposite coast and in Northumbria, so it's just below the border uh, of the Scottish border country. And Lindisfarne is going to become a great center of prayer and learning. And they're going to attract all these Anglo-Saxons up into that, uh, the, the gospel of the kingdom and the community of faith. And then Aden is going to train others. And there's going to be a multiplication of houses of prayer and going down towards York. And one of the, the great houses of prayer is going to be at Whitby and also one at Melrose with uh, Cuthbert. So uh, at Whitby is going to be one of the greatest of all the Celtic leaders, and her name is Hilda. Hilda, though a woman, was one of the greatest leaders. Now, the Roman church does not recognize women as leaders, but uh, the Celtic church did, and um, Hilda was one of the very greatest and most respected of all the leaders and I would like to just tell a story about Hilda to, to show what her style was. Um, Hilda at Whitby had a gardener, and um, this gardener was not a Christian believer. Um, gardeners were, were generally um, not revered. It's, uh, in other words, they were treated as the lowest class in Celtic society or in Anglo-Saxon society. And um, this one gardener, uh, Cadman, uh, also um, didn't have a very high opinion of himself, and he didn't have a very high opinion of his voice. And so he believed that he could not sing. Well, one day he had a dream. So often uh, people were converted because they had dreams. And so here he has a dream. And uh, the dream, oh, here's... Here's a, a, a sculpture of Cadman, and uh, Cadman has this dream of a man who came to him and said, Cadman, sing me a song. And Cadman replied, but I can't sing. And the man replied, but you shall sing to me, sing to me about the creation. And so then he opened his mouth in the dream, and he just sings this beautiful song about the creation. Um, and this is the song that he sang. Praise we the fashioner now of heaven's fabric, the majesty of his might and his mind's wisdom, work of the world warden, worker of all wonders, how he, the Lord of glory everlasting, wrought first for the race of men heaven as a roof tree, and then made he middle earth to be their mansion. 
And that, my friends, is the first English hymn ever recorded and that we know about still today. And Cadman then uh, went to Hilda. Okay, so Hilda is a very approachable woman. Um, and, and he explains to, to her the dream that he just had. And, and Hilda takes Cadman to the elders of, of her, her uh, prayer house and, and has him explain the dream to them. And they begin to realize that he is receiving a spiritual gift. So they draw him into the community and they teach him the ways of Christ. And as he's growing in the doctrines of Christ and the teachings of the Bible, he sets them to hymns and he sings them in the community and he becomes a great worship leader and probably the first great worship leader of the English church and wrote many, many hymns. Um, so what this shows me is how Hilda had a way of, of taking even the most ordinary people and encouraging them and gently bringing out the gifts that she saw in them until they became great. And, um, and that's the way it was with so many of the Celtic leaders, but Hilda really was... Um, she excelled at this, and uh, she knew how to build leadership in this way. Well, uh, unfortunately, this kind of style of leadership, gentle, humble, Christ-like, is about to be challenged. And that sad story is what we're going to have to talk about next.